0: The nation station Lanks radio
1: Fastamai, good afternoon and welcome to Perspective, your view of the world we live in on the Isle of Man of the 21st century. I'm Dolan Mercer, with you until two o'clock this week. We're joined in the studio by representatives of four Manx political parties to give their views on the functioning of Tynwald and how governments held to account, that's in the absence of course, of a traditional party politics structure like we might see in the UK for example. Leader of the Manx Labour Party, David Cretney. Laurie Hooper of Lib Vannin. Leader of the Isle of Man Green Party, Andrew Newton. And Mech Chairman, Mark Kermode. Uh, Fastamai, good afternoon to you all. Good afternoon. Um, it might be worth pointing out, of course, that we also have a spectrum of involvement in government with us too. Um, Laurie Hooper is a member of the House of Keys for Ramsey. David Cretney sits in Tynwald's upper chamber, Legislative Council. Um, as things stand, the Isle of Man Green Party has representation at local authority level, of course, um, and McVannon is completely separate from, from government uh, as as we stand, so we have that full range kind of accounted for, I guess. If this doesn't seem too simplistic, I wondered if we might start by asking each of you to uh, succinctly tell us a bit about the party you represent. Uh, Mr Cretney first, if possible.
2: Well, thank you, Dolan. Um, Manx Labour Party was established in 1918, has been consistently represented in Tynwald since then. It was formed because of the uh, general strike and the poverty which was coming at the end of the First World War. We celebrated a hundred years last year and we are a social democratic uh, party interested in inclusivity, equality, social issues. Those are our principal uh, concerns. Um, I've been a member of the Max Labour Party uh, for longer than I care to remember. I was first elected to the Douglas Town Council aged 29 in 1983 and to the House of Keys in 1985. So I'm in my 34th year. I've been in and out of government. I'm presently what you might term a backbencher. Uh,
1: Mr Kermode next.
3: Oh, yes, McVannon was formed in 1962. Uh, the leading lights were people who know about the language Doug Farragher. Um, And it was sort of a a cross between a political and a cultural movement and then the culturalists sort of faded away. Um, It has, over the years, although it's always been an independence party, it has become uh, solidly committed to republican independence for the Isle of Man, completely rejecting the the validity of any sort of monarchy, especially a foreign one, and uh, that's been our platform since the 1980s. I personally have been involved since I think 1990, uh, I grew up with with nationalism in the Isle of Man. You had Faux Haloo, Direct Action and a, a publisher of the uh, underground paper um, and then you know later on we had the FSFO campaign and uh, that, that was uh, representative of a lot of social unrest in the island and I decided at that point that the, the best way was to get involved with constitutional politics and uh, became a member of McFanon. As a result, um, we're not abstentionist constitutionally. By the way, the the party's constitution is to contend um, uh, both local and national government seats. However, there's nobody in the party at this time willing to uh, to take the oath to, of allegiance to the um, the foreign crown, and it would be duplicitous to do so.
4: Goodermyer, Mr. Kermod, um, Mr. Hooper. Uh, thanks very much, Don. Uh, Liberal Vanin was founded in 2006 uh, by uh, Peter Caron been in MHK for quite some time before then uh, parties stood in in every election since then and fielded 10 candidates I think the first time around 2006 nine candidates I think it was in 2011 um, and and consistently is returning uh, two or three candidates actually at every every single election we can't seem to hold on to them afterwards but that's a separate issue uh, the party's main uh, main ethos really is, is about treating people fairly. Um, making sure that uh, government itself is open, transparent and accessible to people and uh, trying to increase the level of public engagement that there is with the whole political process on the Isle of Man. Thank you very much and Mr Newton as well for the Greens.
5: Thanks Don. So the Isle of Man Green Party was formed in my living room in August 2016, a meeting of about 15 people who answered an advert in the press to come and form a Green Party uh, in the Isle of Man. And so there was two themes to that, two reasons behind it. Firstly, the idea that the importance of party politics, which is what we're going to talk about today, and secondly, the uh, core aim of sustainable, sustainability and a sustainable future for the Isle of Man. And, and that in, encapsulated in the constitution of the party is the salient aim of the party, the sustainable outcome for society, for the environment, for the economy, for the people of the Isle of Man. And um, we don't have any formal connection with Green Party from all all around the world, but we do endorse the Global Green Party Charter that identifies six principles, which are participatory democracy, sustainability, ecological wisdom, diversity, non-violence, and equality. Um, So um, that's the Green Party.
3: Yeah. yeah, there was a Green Party during the seventies and eighties it's worth remembering, wasn't there? there was um uh, what what was his name? John Remington. Remington, that's right. M H K for Russian for some years he was he was a Green Party member but I take it there's no continuity between that and, and your party. I,
5: I have met with John several times and spoken yeah. interestingly about his time. I think he referred to it as the early 90s, because I think he yeah. stood 96 for the first time. So oh yeah, I'm a decade the,
3: age. sorry, it's old um, age then.
5: But it was interesting to hear, and to, which I wasn't aware of and I hadn't seen any information about it, but it, um, yeah, no, I have spoken to John about that and it's interesting.
1: Guramaya to everybody. Well, um, the unanimous Tinwald vote, then, really, we, the reason for this title um, and for the topic of discussion came from uh, this year's Manx budget. We heard from um, several members of Parliament who were quite vocal, um, even critical, of some aspects of the budget this year. Um, Chris Robertshaw, Daphne Kane, for example. Um, but that culminated after several hours of, of discussion, and um, the House of Keys voted 22 in favour, with none against and all nine members of the Legislative Council are backed Treasury Minister Alfred Cannon's proposals. Um, Mr. Newton, if I could start with you, maybe on this um, using the budget is, is just a just a recent example, really. But members being critical of a whether it be a report or a piece of legislation, um, whatever it may be, may be then voting for it anyway. Um, for, for members of the public, maybe that's a bit difficult to understand.
5: Yeah, I think there is seemingly a contradiction there. There were many people who stood up in uh, in in Timwald on on that day and and talked against issues within the uh, within the budget, but then it was voted through unanimously. So on face value, then it does seem to be a contradiction.
1: And um, Mister Cretney, if I could bring you in next, you've mentioned a bit about your experience um, across each sort of branch of of Tinwald. Um, that's not a particularly uncommon occurrence no, I think
2: the thing with the budget is you have to accept it all or, or not at all and you have to take on balance whether the measures which I- within that are worthy of support and on balance I supported it however I was and it hasn't been reported in any media outlet that I know of uh, I was quite critical of a number of elements in particular the Minister said they shouldn't be complacent and and he was saying complacency in the, in the form that everything was doing well. I, I pointed out to him about, we've got food banks, I pointed out to him about the homeless problem, I pointed out to him uh, about it takes a year to, to see mental health uh, uh, professionals. We're not perfect by any means, and there are a lot of things that need to be sorted out.
1: Uh, Mr Kermode, maybe, to bring you in, um, where do you feel opposition comes from then at, at present?
3: Well, if you if if you stick with that example of the budget, it is a bit of, of a nonsense to debate and discuss something that is as a case of we accept it or we don't accept it uh, at the end of the day, and and really all the all the all the debate is is really a waste of floor time because it's not a case of we can send it back to be modified unless the floor rejects it in, in total. All these people have got to get together to to do that. It's that's really you know just using that one example of of the treasury. Uh, budget it's um it's 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 not a good example of of the way um uh, debating and and the formation of legislation should work um, and policy but uh, we feel that there is um, a definite need for opposition to the consent what is misappropriately called the consensus form of government where um, anybody who speaks out of line is told of acting against consensus government and that's a misappropriation of the word consensus. Consensus is when a vote is carried through on the majority opinion not by not being allowed to speak your mind and um, Peter Carden was forever getting pulled up and told he was uh, being non-consensus and and whether that opposition comes from within the House or from without the House uh, it's um, it doesn't matter as long as the, the the voices are are heard that's the thing
1: so uh, mr Cretney, what's the what's the motivation then for speaking out is it just a case of um grandstanding or or kind of political point scoring do you feel or is, is there more to it than
2: that no, no there's certainly much more to it i mean the the present council of ministers um but as always has been the case given the majority of independents are a mixed bunch and so you, they themselves must have interesting discussions behind the scenes as as i did when i was a minister um, and what happens what emerges from that is a consensus you then have to make a decision whether the consensus that arrives is one which you're content with and is in the best interest of those you represent or one which you have to walk away from and and that's that's how it works in the Isle of Man. I obviously would prefer there to be a clear system of party politics based on a manifesto, rather than, you, you know, who your grandfather was or whether your your mother's cat, you know, all that kind of nonsense. Uh, yes, there's going to be a bit of personality stuff in the in the in the Isle of Man, but it should be based on a clear manifesto uh, offering, and if that's proposed by a number of uh, supported by a number of people standing who can work together on that manifesto then that's got to be the way forward in my opinion.
1: It would be remiss of me not to mention um, Lord Vane's report obviously and we'll come to that perhaps in a bit more detail later on but in the absence of that perhaps traditional party politics structure I guess the question is where does the opposition come from?
2: Well, well in terms of Lord Vane, I mean um, I and I think you you made representation Laurie, and I, I don't know about the other people here but i certainly made representation of lord Vane and my representation was based on uh, making the members of the legislative council directly elected um i've all my political life uh, felt that it was un, an undemocratic institution i think there has been some progress of late in terms of them being more representative of the population but uh, that was certainly the the main theme of my uh, discourse with him. However, he did not accept that the members of the Legislative Council should be uh, based on the senatorial uh, thing representing all all the island. I think that would be a good thing. I regret that he didn't do it. In the absence of that, uh, one of the things that he did say was in relation to scrutiny, and I think scrutiny in the last few years has been much improved, much improved, and I think that the members of Timble who decide as a parliamentary fun- function to get involved in scrutiny should, should, uh, that's just as important, if not more important than being a member of government department.
1: Mr Hooper, if I could um, bring you in, um, that scrutiny also comes from um, committee bodies as well and Timble committees which are set up pretty much with that purpose to scrutinise.
4: Yeah, I mean, you asked where where the opposition comes from in the current Timwald, and mainly you're looking at it, if I'm going to be perfectly honest. uh, You get it, there's a few of us uh, backbenchers who are quite uh, vocal, um, and this is where, uh, kind of speaking out on issues, even if you know on balance it's the right thing to support, you still have to highlight some of the flaws, some of the problems, some of the critical elements that need to be addressed. And last year's budget, not the one just gone, but the 2018 budget is a good example of that. I stood up and I couldn't vote for it. I was openly honest and I said "It's, it's not enough. The health department, I think at the time, I said we need an extra seven million i mean we're having a supplementary vote next week uh, asking for four million pounds i said the same about the police service home affairs was underfunded and again another vote next week supplementary asking for more money so if you don't highlight these points even if even if you do decide on balance you have to support the whole package if you don't take the opportunity to highlight some of the things that are wrong they're never going to get fixed quite frankly you you made reference to this on social media
1: i think this week about um that process last year during last year's budget which ultimately left to or resulted in you being removed from the departmental role. So that... It was removed from
4: from the SAFE team that I was supporting at the time, yeah.
1: So maybe is is that... I don't know how to phrase this. Is that a deterrent then from
4: people being vocally... It, it, can, it can be. Um, most of the roles within government, are, are uh, there's an uplift in pay, and so actually there is a, always a, a, that financial element there. If someone says, oh, if I do stand up for, for what I believe in, there's a chance I'm going to get sacked, and if I get sacked, I'm going to have to take a pay cut. And so there is kind of invariably that at the back of some people's minds that say, well, actually, on balance, do I feel so strongly about this that I'm willing to take a hefty pay cut mm. in order to stand up for it? And I think uh, you're reliant then on having elected the right people into the jobs in the first place to make sure that you do have people with strong enough character who will... Will stand up and say, "Yes, you know what? This is uh, something that matters. I'm going to take the, I'm going to take the hit if it comes to it, and, and so be it. Uh, you, you can't be afraid to, to stand by your principles. Really, that's, that's absolutely fundamental, especially when we don't have a party system where there's no party control around uh, what members should and shouldn't vote for. So there's no manifesto, there's no there's no whipping. It is all down to the individual, and so you're absolutely 100 percent reliant on those individuals being of, of great moral character and having a lot of integrity. And sometimes I think we let ourselves down there."
3: I mean, there have been attempts at um uh, sorry to come in straight like that but there have been attempts at forming um groups groupings within timid in the past and probably the the uh, alternative policy group is the, the the best remembered but your problem there is it was a party of disaffection rather Absolutely. than common common policies and uh although they did some short-term good on on certain topics they didn't have an actual factor a, a common policy that they could uh, get behind and get other people behind but um, even so, be, I'd, I'd rather see that than nothing at all on occasions. And McVannum um, uh, was very vocal about the the chief minister hiring firepowers, and we're still living with that, and it's been terrible for democracy and for the reasons that Laurie, uh, Laurie's just uh, alluded to. You know, the people are scared of saying what they they believe because they can be sacked.
5: Colin, no. I think there are two distinct issues here. One is party politics. One is the absence of any accountability within our constitutional uh, governance system. I think Liz Vane is erudite axiomatic statements within his report, which Timbals has disregarded because the system doesn't allow the accountability that people in the streets should be frustrated about this. And this convoluted system is is clouding the judgment and making well-intentioned people... Um, being corrupted in their ability to form collectives against executive functions. And so, the, Liz Vane, 87% of members of timwald being in, in government, that is a financial incentive to vote with the House. That is terrible, that is perverse, and um, we shouldn't stand up for it. But I see the problem is party politics is the expedient to injunct that problem, and that is because Um, Once you're in the House and you're getting an £11,000 benefit or a £15,000 benefit if you're in Treasury, then you can't form groups to collectivise against government action. You have to run with the party line. There may be occasions, and Laurie's right, to say when people can stand up and make statements against another department where they're against, but the department's system is always going to be stacked in the government's favour. And we see this time and time again. But however, if the like the Green Party, for example, and I would see all the parties want to collect members, want to collect the population behind them, and get elected, and say we're going to stand outside of government, we're not going to accept the salary, we're going to be an opposition in the house, holding the government to account. And
1: um, uh, but, but why, why hasn't that happened? I mean,
5: well, uh, I would refer to these uh, learned it, gentlemen. In terms of Max, Labour Party, we took the view some years
2: ago. That, uh, in fact, when, in the early days of the ministerial system, there were two members of the Mags Labour Party who were in the cabinet. And we be- believed, and I still believe, that having members in there, they were able to influence... For the for the right reasons and for the good, the policies of the Aleman. There was a, a, a number of social changes that, that took place in that period, and I think it was the right thing to do. However, the, the Manx Labour Party, along with the Greens and others, um, ha, are reassessing our position right
4: now.
3: It's yeah. probably oh, sorry. Um, yeah, I, I stood as an independent in 1996, and the reason I stood as an independent was because. We couldn't get um, anyone else to uh, from within Mecklenburg to stand. Uh, there was a few wanted to, but wouldn't commit. At the end, so I stood as an independent because I said there's no point in me going in as a member of a party as only one voice. You know, if if, if, if even one other candidate had gone or had stood on the um, as a Mecklenburg candidate. Um, but you know, we we've continued to influence from from the outside. Uh, unless, but when we come to party politics, unless you have. Uh, um, a, a, you can work with one member as long as the party's behind them and I think you've been in positions like that David where you've been the sole member there and as long as you're feeding back to the party and the party's feeding back to you that makes it worthwhile but you, we've had positions before where people have gone in and they become disconnected from the party and they end up as an independent effectively
1: um, Probably a question for Mr Newton maybe um, do you feel there's a lack then of under the current system of like genuine backbenchers this is exactly the point.
5: People forget that in all these other jurisdictions, there are minor- minority governments. At the end of the day, you look at Westminster, the cabinet is, is minority, it's not. But the fact is, they've formed a party that has the majority of the house. And what the Isle of Man government should be doing is putting forward proposals to build a consensus around the House, not have the whole House having a financial incentive to vote with it, but going, this is a good policy, we believe in this policy, having nine ministers and then collecting the consensus around the House is how it should be. They should be distinct and we've got a vast history of uh, political philosophy supporting the separation of powers, which isn't happening in the Isle of Man.
3: Yeah, Lisvain's report, I, I, I'm tr- struggling to remember exactly what we said now, but the, the punchline <coughs> was it doesn't matter what Lisphane says, if Timbald likes it, they'll accept it, if they don't, they'll just reject it, and that's pretty much what has happened. Um, uh, I mean, I think they did sort of make a, a, a nod towards not taking ministers from the, the Legislative Council, except in the, the most uh, exceptional circumstances. Mechvan, um, incidentally, doesn't believe that the, the uh, Legislative Council should be scrapped, but it has to be by popular uh, election. The, the system we have at the moment is not acceptable in a de- democracy. Um, so, yeah, that, that's it there. The, the Legislative Council reform is, is, is still waiting to happen. And it's been rejected and rejected by the Legislative Council itself, and that's an impasse um, that, that we can't get around. Um, on what uh, Mr. Newton was saying, um, there's a great resistance within the populace to party politics because there's a perception that it's going to end up like the House of Commons with opposition for opposition's sake and, and brain donkeys lobbing pieces of paper yeah. across the floor at, at each other. Um, but in actual fact, a great deal of the work within the House of Commons is, is achieved by consensus, you know, um, with with cross-party votes and cross-party consensus. And again, we should develop party politics in a way that's suitable for the Isle of Man, not... not not just follow on a, a role model from from the UK, you know the. There's, we, we can make party politics work in our own way
4: yeah and I'd like to echo that really I mean the, the, the challenge with Timwold is Timwald doesn't work in a, in a government and opposition kind of way it, it never has I don't think it ever can work in that way simply because we just don't have the numbers for it so you're always going to need to have uh, members uh, with multiple hats with multiple roles just because there aren't enough members of Tim to have one person do each job separately like you've got in the Commons which means there's always going to be an element of consensus building I think if we do end up with some kind of party system on the island we're always going to end up with some kind of coalition framework, that's always going to be the case, just simply because of the very nature of the Isle of Man and the very nature of the way Timwald works. And so whilst the government never has an automatic majority when it comes to the floor of Timwald or the floor of the House of Keys, it, it, it is almost there. Normally one or two votes is all they need to convince backbenchers, and that's why opposition is so difficult on the Isle of Man. It's, it's simply because with nine ministers you know, in the House of Keys, they only need to convince three people uh, to vote with them, and, and that's it. They're, they're through the doors, really. And it's, it's that, that's the challenge you've got, really, as a backbencher, trying to push back against some of government policy and trying to get uh, laws changed is that if government is is really intent on, on its course of action, they don't have to convince a lot of backbenchers to go with them in order to get their way, whereas as a backbencher, to change the direction, you have to convince practically everybody who's not a minister to side with you. So we do have that element of opposition, but it is quite difficult to make it work. The Nation Station,
1: you are listening to Perspective on Manx Radio. We're talking about opposition to the island's parliament. There was some mention there of Lord Robert Lisvane's report, his far-reaching report into how Tynwald carries out its day-to-day business. Um, and we were promised big changes were going to come. Um, if we cast our minds back now to November 2017, uh, Tynwald unanimously made its first step towards enacting at least some of those key reforms. 13 recommendations on parliamentary functions based on the findings of the Liz Vane report came up for a vote. Nine of them went through, and that was despite numerous attempts to amend and defeat the proposals. Um, some choice highlights now from an almost three-hour-long debate which took place in November 2017.
4: The first word, I must be honest, that sprang into my mind was Disappointing and the second word was unimaginative.
2: I have always believed that reform of Legislative Council and of Timwall Court was necessary. This should have been a valuable
3: opportunity to modernise our democracy.
4: The report in many places, to my view, appears to be a 245 page carefully worded defence of the status quo.
2: And the mantra that the eminent parliamentary peer did not understand our system is often repeated to try and maintain the status quo
6: it's ironic that an unelected career civil servant now a member of Westminster's upper house has been to the isle of man for a few weeks taken evidence from a number of people many of whom are no longer part of this uh, parliament this is about gradual change. I sometimes think that the only win in this debate tonight is going to be the provider of photocopying paper. And frankly, from my interpretation of the report, never really got his mind around the dynamics of a
3: three-chambered World. There is significant danger that in adopting these recommendations as they stand, that we may create a significant uncertainty mm. in government and to the wider
6: community. That- if we were to go out and talk at random to 10 members of the public in each of our constituencies, would they say god everything works really well up at the prospect hill everything's very smooth in the way that tim goes goes about his business god those politicians are doing a really good job that isn't actually what i think they would say that's not what they told our social attitude survey so let's have some reality about this okay i don't believe
2: there is a right answer to this the last thing that i would want to happen as a result of the debate today is that we lose the momentum which came in with the members who were elected in the 2016 election to make some progress. Yes we do get criticised, yes we do get the people on anti-social
6: media
1: having a go at us,
6: we tinker at our peril. We have got issues, we have had 32 years of growth but what's that got to do with the way that we go about doing of our business?
1: So this debate, it uh, reminds me of the other man saying about a straight as the backbone of a heron. <laughs> but What would you expect I guess, when you you want to debate change and
6: constitutional change. Two things that Manx people don't like, change and the way they are now.
1: So what did change? Well, under the recommendations, government no longer required a technical majority in the parliament allowing in theory greater scope for party politics. There were changes to the way we look at legislative council too, including a new job description for candidates, focus on creating a socially diverse chamber, a review of the election process for MLCs, a scope for a review of their pay, and a block on MLCs taking on ministerial roles. Um, There was also now to be an investigation into how the Chief Minister is elected in future administrations, um, but other plans to ban MLCs from taking departmental memberships and to exempt them from votes on matters of taxation and public spending, they failed to win the approval of the court. Uh, The man who chaired the committee tasked with devising all of these recommendations was Speaker of the House of Keys, Dewan Watterson, and this now is Alex Bell speaking to him following the debate.
6: Yeah, it was a really good debate. We've really teased out a lot of the issues. Uh, everyone's had the opportunity of having their say. They've moved quite a plethora of amendments um, to sort of t- try and take things down a different course. But ultimately, the important thing is that Tinwalds had their say. Um, we've agreed a lot of the recommendations that the Committee of Brought forward for reform. I I appreciate that they don't go as far as some people would like, um, but in terms of some of the unintended consequences of some of the amendments, it goes to show the dangers of constitution on the hoof. And that's where we were in danger of with Liz Vane, and that's why the committee's really coming to its own. Were you concerned that there were
7: a lot of amendments there, not all of them sailed through? Are you concerned that some of the ones that did sail through have battered these out of shape?
6: Uh, Some of them would have done. Um, I'm not convinced that the the work is fatally flawed now. I I think in terms of the questions we were asked, some of the recommendations that were turned down were quite expected to be turned down. And so I think the committee are quite relieved that those uh, those have been turned down ultimately.
7: Were you surprised by the level of support that you got from the Legislative Council on lots of them?
6: Um, I don't know. I mean, some of the Legislative Council um, will be going through the election process in February. Some of them won't. So um, I consider them a potentially a, a mixed bag. A parting shot from some of them, maybe? Uh, uh, perhaps. Um, but uh, I, I think that all members of Tinwald were thinking about the long-term interests of, of the court. We have different views on them. Some wildly different views. However. That's democracy, and um, we've come to a, a decision, and I think with the good of the future in mind. We've come to a, a steered a path through um, that will see us through for a little while longer, but of course the constitutional argument is never dead, is it? And we'll be back in the new year with the next raft of, of changes regarding uh, whether the, the Bishop's uh, work changes. Because
7: they're, they're, these are still some of the big unanswered mm-hmm. questions from the report, aren't they? Yeah. they? They will be answered, you say?
6: Absolutely, and, and the other thing that we um, were put into phase two, as we've been referring to it as, um, is about the legislative process itself, about pre-legislative scrutiny, about how a bill becomes law. Um, you know, It's from another time, whether that needs to be um, changed. But we, we can go at that at a slightly more steady pace. There is no um, burning uh, bridge for us to uh, have to worry about there. Um, so we will be engaging more with government um, on that in order to formulate recommendations for a a better way of involving the general public and members in scrutiny of legislation as it goes through the branches.
7: There have been concerns throughout this that it's been drawn out, kicked into the long grass, but it almost seems that the more this debate comes up and is deferred and comes up again, the more it increases the willingness of members to accept some of the changes. Is that tactic in some ways?
6: I know. One of the things i found is that as members have started to unpick the issues, some of the things that seemed very straightforward and simple when you first arrive in this place suddenly become a lot more complicated. Um, a good example of that was the issue about members of the House of Keys alone should deal with tax and appropriation issues, and Legislative Council shouldn't have a vote on them. But when you actually work out, well, how are you actually going to do that when you start on picking that, you actually find that the cure is worse than the disease. Um, given that the power of legislative council is to hold it up by one month, um, and the alternative to that is to try and introduce a whole new system of splitting out votes, and things, it's just not worth the bother. So what seemed like a really simple point of principle to start with, when you look at it, it actually is a bit more complicated. And I think that's part of the journey that members have been on in the last sort of 12, 13 months since they came in at the last general election.
7: Just finally, touching on that comment made by the policy and reform minister, Chris Thomas, he <coughs> said, "Well, he was responding to a number of members who said, it ain't broke, don't fix it. He said, well, let's go out and ask constituents. They probably will think it's broke. Do you think constituents, when they hear this news, are going to be pleased that reform's coming? Do you think
6: they'll care? I think there'll be a lot of scratching their heads that we spent two and a half hours talking about what we do in Tinwald, and not more time spent talking about health, education, and some of the things that matters to them on a daily basis. Because it is in danger of becoming abstract, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we're in danger of sort of looking like navel gazers on this. Mm. And it's important that we do review our own systems. Um, but actually, I think what really exercises people out there in the real world is you know, whether they're going to have a job whether the the roads are in a good condition, whether they're trusting the health service. So these are the real issues. So whilst it's important for us within Tinwell to go through this process every now and then, I don't expect it to have a a really big reaction with the man on the street. That was Speaker of the
1: House of Keys, Dewan Watterson, speaking there to Alex Bell in November 2017. Uh, If I can come to you first, Mr Newton, if I may, there was some some head shaking during that.
5: Well, I'm disappointed to hear that he... takes the conversation to what he says matters of health, which he suggests are of import, but then totally disregards the fundamental issue at the heart of it, the accountability, the transparency, the scrutiny, all these things that Liz Vane was talking about, which goes to the efficacy of the actual decision-making system to bring about positive outcomes in health, positive outcomes in society, social justice, and so I'm, I'm disappointed for him to misdirect the conversation there, when actually they should be looking at the efficacy of the system.
1: Do you feel that um, some change was positive perhaps, or do you feel that it just wasn't enough?
5: It, absolutely. I mean, Legislative Council shouldn't be members of government departments. It's fundamental. How can that be maintained? That shouldn't be. Secondly, um, the proliferation of, of members of government outside of the Council of Ministers. Again, Liz Bain was um, axiomatic in his statements to say that it's not they're redundant. It, there's no point. They should be focusing on scrutinising the government decisions, looking at policy, looking at legislation.
1: Um, Mr Cretney, if you don't mind me using you as an example, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> at MLCs having having departmental roles, yeah. what, what what are your views on that? I um,
2: I'm much... Uh, Prefer the role I have as Chair of the Social Affairs Policy Review Committee. There is no uplift for members to do that. There is no enhancement. I'm not saying that this should be all about money, but I'm also on the Department of Agriculture uh, and Fisheries and my role there is minimal. So the whole situation regarding members' uh, remuneration needs to be sorted out we shouldn't have, for example, a tax-free allowance. That should be... that's archaic. It came in because members were a little bit reluctant to have a salary for doing the job. Now, if you're going to have a, a Timwell that's representative of all members of society, which I think it should be, then there needs to be a proper reward for the job. And so some of the things... Uh, I understand Andrew's frustration. However, I haven't been around as long as I have. Some of the things that have changed are pretty dramatic and moves in the right direction. But as I say, I, I would have always wanted to go further than actually ended up.
1: Uh, you mentioned the Social Affairs Policy Review Committee mm. um, <clears throat> uh, recently. In another prospective programme we spoke about some of the work of the Public Accounts Committee. Yes. Um, are these timeworn committees providing that that scrutiny or that opposition that perhaps? is lacking elsewhere, would that be fair? I
2: I think they're very important, each of the scrutiny committees and the public accounts committee taken an enhanced role I would say under the chairmanship uh, of the Speaker, the Speaker is very enthusiastic he comes from a a background which understands all these financial matters, he's been very uh, good in terms of The issues that we have looked at in terms of the Public Accounts Committee, but in terms of the Social Issues Committee, which I'm personally responsible for, we've looked at things that haven't been looked at in the past, should have been looked at. You know, one of them that was referred to us was about Notfield. We've also looked at mental health issues. We've looked at, we are looking presently at suicide. And we need to make sure that those kind of social issues, which are kind of bread and butter to me, are things that also feature in terms of the Timbled agenda.
4: Part of, the, part of the challenge though comes down to members' time, so when it comes to actually being able to do that level of detailed scrutiny, if half your head is in a department role or in two department, I, mean, yeah. I sit on one of these scrutiny committees and I also sit in two government departments, and so the amount of time that you can dedicate to any one of those jobs is, is quite limited. If, if things are going on in all three or four of your roles, then actually are you giving the scrutiny element the, the work and the, the attention that it needs? I mean, all the work that David's committee is doing is predominantly historical, um, and, and that's that's got to be done, don't get me wrong, uh, but actually it means that who then is picking up on the day-to-day, the current work that's going on in government, and I think uh, the Speaker's reference to the Health Service is, is absolutely spot-on, because uh, one of the things happening right now in the Health Service is we've, we're paying an absolute fortune for an independent report into the Health Service. Now, if public accounts had the right resources, if we had an auditor general, for example, or if the Social Affairs Policy Committee uh, was t- staffed by uh, full-time politicians rather than people who also had other roles, maybe they could have done this work themselves. Uh, I mean, if you look at the Public Accounts Committee report into the health service. It- there's no eye-openers there. There's no bits of rocket science or magic. You look at it and go, oh, the health service is, is overspending and it's, it's not working as well as it should be. Well, that's a surprise. Everyone knows that. But actually, we've had to pay an expert to come in and do this work because we haven't got a properly resourced Timwall scrutiny function that can do this work for us. And mm-hmm. that's was the, the really disappointing thing for me that's of the Lisvain Review is we have made big strides, I think, from where we were or from where Timwall used to be, but we still haven't gone far enough in mm-hmm. making sure that our scrutiny function is properly resourced to make sure that we can actually do the work that needs to be done and keep on top of some of the live policies and decisions government's making today instead of always focusing on mistakes they made yesterday and last week and last year. Actually, they need to be more on the ball, I think, some of these scrutiny committees, and it all comes down to resourcing. I
1: you, think- you, you mentioned a bit, sorry, just quickly, um, about the sort of division of time between departmental responsibilities, between committees, um, between maybe your responsibilities for your party, etc. Um you're paid for some of those and not for others and whilst that shouldn't come into it it's going to isn't it
4: surely Uh, not not for me actually um to my mind you're elected to do a job by the people and part of that job uh, might entail sitting in a department might entail sitting on a scrutiny committee um might entail doing uh, other parliamentary work so really for me it it, whatever the job is you do the job that's asked to you, the job that's required of you so just because some bits of that are paid and some bits of it aren't it doesn't Prioritise that way, um, which is why uh, the pay review that's going on—that they're actually doing as a result of amendments that I brought to the Lizvine r- report—they're um, doing this review, and one of my submission to that is essentially that you should just pay people their flat rate. So it doesn't matter what job they're doing, because really, when you run for election, when you get elected, you know full well that you could be asked to do any one of a range of different roles. So why should some of those be paid more than others, and why should we assume that government work is more important than scrutiny work when actually? often it's the other way around. I mean, the work that David's committee did on Notfield, absolutely fundamental. You, you know, that work is, is is so important. And yet, as David's already said, there's no no financial acknowledgement of that work. Maybe there shouldn't be. But the point is to try and argue that government work is somehow harder and more valuable than scrutiny work is a completely nonsense argument for me.
1: Uh, Mr Newton, from the outside, we've heard both Mr Hooper and Mr Cretney talk about um, their roles... Being given uh, kind of even effort, if that's the, the right way of putting that, irrespective of money. Do you think that's representative of, of, of Tynwald and of, of all members?
5: Well, I think I'd refer back to my earlier comments to say there's a, an abject absence, well, there's an absence of accountability within the system and well intentioned people doing well intentioned work but suffering because of the system channeling down avenues where there isn't the scrutiny, there isn't the accountability, there isn't the transparency. And the interesting question is how does the system change? They spent, what was it, £50,000 on Liz Vein producing a report which had um, erudite proposals for change which were disregarded. And then it's how do we injunct that system? So do we bring about change? And and I would see party politics as expedient bottom-up changes which we referred to earlier. People collectivising around important philosophies and going, we identify with these concepts. The Aleman Green Party would be sustainability. These other parties have their own philosophies. And we go, we're going to come in to change and making transparent statements prior to the election, going, if we are elected as the majority then we're going to have government and this is the platform we're going to take forward as government but if we're not elected as government we're going to be in opposition holding government to account being transparent or calling for transparency and scrutinizing the government's actions there has to be the separation between the executive
3: and the legislature
1: how how far uh, mr Kermo A question for you as well how far can that scrutiny come from the outside
3: well, the um, not so much scrutiny, but policy input seems to come very well from the outside. If you talk about the Chamber of Commerce, they have, a, you know, they've got the red telephone straight into the Cabinet of Ministers, it would seem, and um, they, they they're not accountable to anyone, but they seem to they they seem to have their their opinions or the opinions of whoever's in charge of the Chamber of Commerce listened to very well. But if you come and look at the again coming back to party politics um, and policy. The trouble is now, and this has developed over the past 20 years, is that um, the ministers are not generating policy. The policy is increasingly generated by the civil servants uh, on a formulaic basis. And the, uh, all too often, um, people like David have had more experience and, and, and know the ins and outs, but a lot of these new M- M- MHKs, they end up in a ministerial position, they, they're just there to sign it off. They're a and dog, you know. Um, and I'm not being disparaging about them that. They, they're just not uh, experienced or wise enough to, to 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 lay down the law. And if you're a minister and you you've got a party behind you, whether that party is actually in the house or without the house, you you've got somebody behind you saying, "Hang on, you're not you're not letting that happen, or you will make that happen." That's not happening at the moment.
4: The Welcome
1: back to Perspective on Manx Radio. We're talking about the Tynwald unanimous vote, and more specifically, a perceived lack of opposition in the Isle of Man's Parliament. Uh, before the break, we heard a bit about the concept of departmental roles within Tynwald, um, and a bit about yeah, people's conflicts of interest, perhaps, or, or lack of. Um, one example of that came up recently. Uh, Tim Baker, MHK, is chair of the planning committee. I think that's with the Department of Environment, food and agriculture and um, he's also a member of infrastructure with responsibility for ports so when an application was submitted uh, in relation to the dredging of Peel Marina uh, Mr Baker was essentially applying to his own committee for planning permission now um, it's it's worth pointing out that um, Mr Baker did leave the room uh, given that sort of potential conflict of interest in that incident um Mr Cretney it, it still feels though this is all a bit a bit close are those conflicts inevitable do you feel?
2: Well we live in a small island so there are bound to be conflicts but it's up to the member to make sure that their conflicts are uh, clearly identified and you know when we when we're elected we have to uh, fill in a register of members interests that's now publicly available I can remember long ago that I raised a, a matter when there were two members of Timbald who had not made any declaration whatsoever and to say that they had no interests would be being dishonest, and I think they were being dishonest, so that again, that's, that's an improvement, but yes, there will be conflicts from time to time, and it's up to the member to use their integrity and to back out when appropriate.
1: So un- under the current system, uh, Mr Hooper, that, that probably is pretty unavoidable, would you feel, is that, is that, is that right? Yeah, I think
4: the, the challenge you've got is where you've got so many members in departments, so some departments have got four members for example, um, it's inevitable that with the number of roles that are to be filled if you're wearing two or three hats you are inevitably going to come into conflict sometimes between uh, those, those hats so it is the way the system's set up it almost says yes we accept there will be conflicts and we are absolutely like David says, reliant on individual members to to recognise those conflicts and to be fair to members from what I've seen over the last two and a half years people are, are yeah. pretty good at doing that and actually identifying where they've got a conflict and saying I shouldn't play any role in this in this particular decision and they do step out of the room and that, that's that been my uh, interaction with, with people so far so yeah the system is kind of inevitable but I think it is it is working uh, to put it that way. I'm trying
1: to think um, I don't have the Stats to, to hand, but of, of members who don't
4: have departmental responsibilities, there aren't many. Are
2: Chris Robertshaw, uh, Jane Poole Wilson.
4: And Kate Beecroft are the three. And Kate, of uh, course, but the, it's it's not just members that don't have a departmental responsibility. It's those that have more than one. So, like myself, I sit in education and enterprise, and so there can be instances where those two departments are not pushing in the same direction. Not very often, uh, I grant you. Those two departments do tend to, to work quite well together. But you have other departments where you you don't necessarily have that level of interaction, uh, or where you don't always uh, you're not always trying to get the same thing, and that that's going to give rise to conflict. And sometimes that's a, a good thing because the members in both departments they can provide a bit of an overview. And and balance that out a bit but sometimes it is going to result like you've, uh, the instance you've highlighted where there was a, a DOI application to a, a DEFA planning committee and actually you've got one member who's involved in, in both and he did step out of the room which is the right thing to do but that conflict did arise and it wouldn't have arisen if he only had one of those roles
1: How was how that res- relationship managed then? You used your example um, what, yeah? How, how does that kind of take place? How does that fit? If there are conflicts potentially arising what, what
4: action's taken? Like it's already been said, it's up to you as an individual member to recognise there is a conflict and to, to step out and say actually I, I can't play any, any part of this decision. And it's not just conflicts within Timwall as well, like David said we're a small island so we've all got a past that we bring with us, we've all had previous jobs, previous employers, previous relationships and friends and family and all the rest of it that, that all come with you when you go into the role and so there will be conflicts as well between your current role and previous role so you have to be able to recognise those and be completely honest about it and say this is really something I can't be any part of and, and step out of the room or pass the decision on to, to somebody else so
1: what what's well what's the answer really do you think that a reduction in departmental roles mr. Cretney would that be would that be of benefit
2: I think ultimately uh, we had the discussion before about LegCo I think ultimately members of LegCo should not be members of departments But yeah. it, it the important thing there is that the role of scrutiny where members of LegCo are playing a part should be properly recognised, and we've had that discussion before as well. So, um, uh, as we've said, there's inevitably going to be conflicts that arise, but in terms of um, memberships of departments, LegCo, as a a starting point, it would be right that they don't uh, play a part in departments, but concentrate on the scrutiny role. But... uh, the point just made in relation to two departments I've been on two departments in the past as well and, and that does from time to time cause you issues
1: um, Mr Newton, uh, the Legislative Council's function as a an upper chamber as a scrutiny body, can that can that be achieved effectively with members of the Legislative Council having departmental memberships
5: I, I, th- I think Liz well, Vane, a more qualified man than myself, has dealt with this uh, in the report that's been commissioned and um, I would refer to anyone interested in the subject to that report and to say that it's quite patently clear that there's a conflict and it's not fit for purpose as it is. And and I'd refer back to my earlier statements that these are well-meaning people trying to do the right thing, but subject to this system which is um, weighted against the accountability, transparency and scrutiny that should be the reason
1: why it's present. Um we want to talk a bit as well during this program about party politics. Um, obviously, we've got representatives now of of three uh, of the island's parties. Mark Kermode hasn't been able to stay for the second hour, unfortunately. But would would an increased presence of party politics be a solution to some of this? Because it's it's often the 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 option which is touted.
5: Yeah. So I think. Um I, I think the two there's two issues that are distinct: the importance of party politics and engaging society into the political forum constantly. Not just at an election every five years, but having a voice, having a system, and a system that holds the representatives of that party to account transparent around what they're saying, what they're doing on behalf of the party, so that's one issue that's fundamental and why we should have party politics, but then there's also the issue about the lack of accountability scrutiny in the current system. Now, I I think I said earlier that I I see party politics as the opportunity to resolve the problem within the system because you can have a party structure that's built up by the members, by the people within society going, this is the important philosophy that we care about, which for the Ironman Green Party is sustainability, sustainable future. And um, But we recognise the faults within the system and we don't want our representatives to go into the system and then just be unable to advance the important issues that we think because they're subject to the system, which means they have to vote with the government, they're members of the government, and otherwise they're sat outside in the cold, unable to form a consensus, scrutinising or holding government to account because of the system. So it's going to be the parties are going to have to say transparently before an election this is our manifesto this is the promise we would um, bring to effect if we were elected government and if we're not elected government this is we're going to make a coalition with uh, another party for example so there could be that but the important thing is have the executive distinct from the legislature otherwise they're going to have to sit outside and forego the um, finances that um, they would get if they're members of government in order to hold government to account
1: to bring about change I'd like to bring in William King now we've had some texts and emails in William what's being said?
0: Um, thanks very much Dolan, yes uh, Bert has texted us to say that if a party member becomes a member of Comin, should that party member stand down from the party as they would really have to tow the Comin line and not the party line I wonder what our guests would think about that?
2: Well as the only one who falls into that situation no I don't agree I think that uh what, what happens when you become a member of the Council of Ministers is you bring with you, in, in our case, the manifesto of the Manx Labour Party, uh, and and you're, you're able to hopefully influence decisions that are made. There's no reason whatsoever that you should step down, because it's a clear and transparent process that you're becoming a member of Komin. Um However, as I said earlier, again, the Max Labour Party at the present time are reviewing whether they should continue to adopt that stance or to be more uh, in opposition. Uh,
0: um, thank you very much, um, David, Mr. Cretney there. Um, we've also had a text in from Sue, who's asking our guests to comment on the influence of any Freemasonry in Tynwald, Um because she says there's a perception that politicians with the right-hand shake, in inverted commas, are the real decision-makers in Tynwald. Um, what do our guests think about that? Well again I
2: think if you if you are a member of that or any other organisation it's within your it, it, it's something that you should declare in your register of interests um, there have been always members of the Freemasons in timwald I never have been I've always made it clear that although I was invited donkeys years ago it wasn't something I wished to participate in
0: Yes, um, ok thank you very much for that and also, we have had um, we've had Roger Tomlinson text us a few times. Um, he is emails, sorry, um, saying that a better example of a, a block vote is going to come up when uh, Mr. Kri- Minister Cregeen brings the education bill to the keys, um, because he knows he'll get a majority of thirteen. Mr. Tomlinson here says that he'll get ten ministers and three departmental memberships, but I don't think that's. Because I think there are only nine ministers, there's, aren't there? There's nine ministers, and in
4: Keys yeah. there'll be nine ministers and two members. And this is the point that I raised earlier that for government, when government has a policy or a, a bill they're bringing through, they've only got to convince, so in Keys, for example, two people um, outside mm-hmm. of, the, of the government sphere in order to, to get their policies and their ideas through. So anyone who has a different perspective, a different point of view, it, it is possible to, because government is in the minority, but they have to bring pretty much everybody who isn't in that government and in mm-hmm. that government department with them. So it is it is very challenging for backbenchers to actually make change. It does happen, I mean I myself have brought numbers of amendments, uh, most recently on Tuesday last week, uh, amendments to bills against government uh, advice and the government didn't want to do something but uh, we managed to outvote them, so it does happen. It's just uh, not as, as easy as it might be in, in, a, in a more straightforward party system where you know who's on each side of the fence before you even go into the room. Um,
2: sorry, if, if I can just add briefly to that, um, one of the things when I was talking about the social affairs policy review committee Laurie said much of the stuff we're doing is historic and he's right in that but we recently had the education minister and the chief executive in front of us and we have made it clear to them that we wish for them as this is emerging policy for them to come in and be questioned on the education bill so that's going to for the first time I think provide some additional scrutiny into that matter.
0: Okay um, thank you very much. Um, Roger also says that the um, the public is not aware of conflicts of interest within Council of Ministers in its decision-making, and he's also asked us what is happening to the s- review of the scope of MLC's pay um, there. We've also had um, a message in from Bonzo Slater, who says that Tinwald ticks all the boxes of what Tory grandy Lord Hallisham called the elective dictatorship, and he thinks that the, um, the current system is beyond reform and must be totally replaced root and branch. So some interesting comments there from our listeners.
1: Mr Newton, what, what would your views be on that?
5: Um, I mean, the, the complete system change? I, I, I think electing people to represent you in a parliament is, is important and then having a government that executes... Um, decisions is is important. We just uh, clearly we have a lack of separation of powers, and I, I think um, uh, to expedite a, a resolution to this, it would be to remove um, the superfluous departmental members in the House of Keys, and to remove Legislative Council being uh, members of departmental members, and and that's a starting point to divide the draw the lines between the legislature and the executive. Um, I mean there's other changes you could bring in um, but I, I don't think we need to deal with these because the fundamental changes are, are in front of us and, and Lord this Vane has identified them.
2: In relation to members pay, um, I'm on the emoluments committee, there's going to be an independent overview of that matter, uh, rightly so, uh, but I, again at the committee and publicly I've made it clear that I do believe that members of the legislative council who don't have the same uh, constituency responsibilities as members of the House of Keys sh- should be rewarded in in a less favourable manner because of that.
1: I wanted to ask briefly. There was mention there of um, a common block vote. Could you just explain a bit about what what that is? If that's if if that's a,
4: a common um, eventuality, yeah, it, it, it's a common term. So, but basically, it's referring to the collective responsibility within council ministers. So, when council ministers makes a decision, they will vote on that decision and. Uh, then whatever that view is that becomes the council of ministers view so for a minister to go against that uh, in public they would have to resign uh, unless they had a pre-stated position and so inevitably you'll get decisions made by the council of ministers where maybe one or two ministers don't agree with that but when it comes to the floor of Timor they have to vote with it anyway uh, and it's the same when it comes to uh, departmental members as well so you you either vote with your department uh, or you, you can resign but essentially you could end up being dragged along and being asked to vote for things that you don't agree with and that's back to what we were talking about earlier where if, you need to elect people in that have the right set of principles that if it is something they fundamentally disagree with they will say thanks but no thanks i can't support this policy and i'm, and I'm out of the door mm-hmm. um, and the same goes for council of ministers and i think the reference there to us not knowing what those conflicts are is the internal council ministers votes are are private votes are, they're not public and part of me thinks that's uh, if, if you're going to keep collective responsibility that's kind of essential because you, you wouldn't you need to they need to be able to present a united front to Tim Walders in this is the view of the Council of Ministers as, as a collective otherwise if you knew that it was sort of 5-4 within the Council of Ministers you knew you could be able to pick off one or two of them and it would make governing actually quite difficult and that's what we have to remember at the bottom of all this is government has to have the ability to govern. So whilst there has to be an appropriate amount of scrutiny and, and input from parliament, government has to be able to make decisions and to put policy forwards otherwise we'll end up in a situation like we have in the UK where they just keep coming back asking the same question over and over again not making any progress, not getting anywhere, because that government just cannot govern.
0: William King, we've had some more messages in. Over to you. We have, thanks, yes. Um, Rob Collister has sent us an email. Um, hi, Dolan. So, Andrew from the Green Party is saying that if he stands and then is elected to the House of Keys in 2021, he wouldn't go into a governmental department, especially DEFA, in order to help influence Green policies and issues that benefit the island as a whole. Um, I think Rob is suggesting that he, he finds that hard to believe. Um Also Andy texts us to say please can Mr Hooper or Cretney tell us how often the reg of of members interests is updated, why is it not online? It is it, online.
4: It is online. They're all fully available. Um, I, it's updated as often as it changes. So I think there's a requirement that we have to update it within, it might be 30 days of a, of a change. So you, you register your interests at the start uh, when you get elected. And then there is a an expectation that when your, when your interests change, if you have if you receive gifts, I think over £50, I think you have to declare them. So you, that's when that register of interest will be updated on a regular basis as members' interests uh, develop and change over the, the course of their parliamentary career. Now, it might be that the interests don't change over the course of the career. Myself, for example, I have very little interest outside of, of uh, Parliament and um, the Levant Party, so really my register won't be updated on a regular basis because it, it doesn't frequently change. But if it were to change, if I were to develop new inf- interests and have more conflicts, I, I'd have to declare them. And there is a thing within standing orders there is a time limit on how often, on, on how long you've got in order to update it.
1: I feel like we should give Mr. Newton a a, ch- a chance to respond. What What do you feel about that? Would Greens want to have involvement in in DEFA?
5: Well, I, I think. Rob quite clearly hasn't been listening to what I've been saying because what I've been saying is a party politics. You are held account. You make decisions within the party of the freight the party framework. So it doesn't matter what I'm saying. It's what I'm subject to by the party and coming together to derive a manifesto, a document to say this is what we're going to do. It's not what I'm saying. It's what the party's saying, and uh, we are representatives of that. And then. Um, I'm saying that the party politics is an opportunity to change the system, which Tim Walters has quite clearly not chosen to change. And that begs begs questions about self-interest. And and I I refer to my earlier comment that people are well-meaning, well-intentioned to do the right thing. But the
0: problem is the structure of the system, the constitution, is failing. Just on that, Andrew, um, Robin Peel sent us a text to say that party politics is stronger on the street with those who think this government is corrupt with them and us men and with them and us mentality. Um, he says that good intentions seem to disappear with ministerial posts. I think sort of backing you up there. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, I wanted to ask a bit about um, specifically about green policies because we've seen obviously this week it's very topical with um, school children striking um, outside legislative buildings uh, for climate change effectively, and we have seen a bit of a change in tact from the DAFA Minister. Would that be fair?
5: Well, I mean, yeah, he was interviewed by uh, on Friday afterwards and said he's bringing to the House on Tuesday a consultation exercise to engage with the population. Um, Obviously the Isle of Man Green Party would say, uh, and the Climate Change Coalition by extension would say that these things are ready to be done now. The government should be executing its authority now, should be investing, making decisions now for the sustainable future of Isle of Man society. prevaricating this government to be a no assistant this is going to be detrimental to our future Um so it is if Jeffrey Boot has positive things to say in regards to uh, challenging and uh, introducing policies investing now to bring about a positive future for the other man in terms of climate change well we would uh, support those statements Um
1: is, 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 is that evidence do you feel that public pressure um, works
5: I think he, he is and the department generally and the Isle of Man government has been suffering pressure from the outside and that is positive to see that there is accountability in that respect um, so
1: yes uh, Mr Cretner you were looking to come well, on though. Well
2: just to be I'm a realist so um, and i have sometimes criticised this that I, I don't believe that either of the three parties here represented will gain a majority the next election and that's why I'm, uh, I've said at a, a, a meeting recently that we we should have no problem with working together and the Isle of Man Climate Change Coalition is a great example of that because not only are the Green Party represented, uh, I'm not sure if Liv vanished but the Manx Labour Party certainly are. Uh, indeed, the chair is, is a member of the Manx Labour Party and that shows you, by working together, you can influence decisions.
1: I suppose that a question I, I was bound to ask, really, in, in each in each party's case, um, what plans are, are, are in place for 2021? Uh, if I start with you Mr
2: Crane. Yes fine um, I, I'm delighted that in the last couple of years there have been a number of people who have joined the ranks Labour Party and I know that's the case in the Greens and Liberal Vanden as well and I think that shows there is an interest and people are concerned and want to get together in a group and, and try and work through these issues. Um, in terms of the max Labour Party we will we'll, we'll be contesting the election um, I, we have a number of good young people who've joined us recently and i hope that they'll be in a position to test the electorate in 2021
4: uh, Mr Hooper, with respect to Lib Van? I'd say we're in very much a, a similar position. That uh, The party does fully intend to contest uh, the elections in, in 2021. Uh, for us it's about finding the right candidates and so if people out, out there are really seriously considering running for local government or national government on the Isle of Man, they should get in touch with whichever one of the parties it is that kind of they feel most closely fits with their own ideology. Uh, and really, it is it is about getting the right people to get into those jobs. Uh, and there will be there's quite a long uh, sort of vetting process, a long kind of test bed to make sure that the people that are coming forward are the, are the right people. But uh, we hold public meetings every month, second Wednesday uh, up in Manx Blind Welfare in Onken, second Monday, sorry, of the month at 7.30. And uh, I'd encourage anyone who's even got the slightest notion that they might be interested in, in Manx politics in some form or another to come along to some of those meetings and have a chat with the party members, have a chat with the existing MHKs and, and Douglas councillors, and, and really just, just build it up from there.
1: Mr. Newton, um, the Isle of Man Green Party has a, a reasonably fresh uh, pair of eyes. I think it'd be fair to say, only quite recently formed, as you spoke about at the beginning of the programme. Um, we've had, we've seen some candidates in local authority elections. Um, I think there was a candidate in the Ramsey election, if I remember rightly, yeah, and then Andrew Bentley has been elected in uh, Derby Ward in Douglas. What, what plans then to, to build on that, really?
5: So the Green Party, it's building membership every month. We're growing at the moment. We're hold, hosting meetings, uh, visible on social media, etc. You can find out more on greenparty.im or uh, on any of the Facebook channels we're on, um, Instagram, sorry, and uh, Twitter as well. Um, at the moment, the Green Party is concentrating on building its vision, its platform to take forward to the electorate in 2021, nay, in 2020 in the local council elections, um, to go, this is our vision for the future, this is what we're striving to bring about change. Will you buy into it? If you don't buy into it, will you challenge it and say where we need to change it? But it's important that we need to be transparent about what our intentions are and say, this is our concerns, this is our aspirations, Mm -hmm. this is what we're intending to deliver. Will you elect us as the Isle of Man government?
1: Is is 2021 uh, a, a bit soon, or, or is, is the plan to to be kind of up to speed by then? I don't know. Where 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 does the party stand at the minute?
5: I mean, uh, why wait? Why, if you've got things to say, if you've got important statements to make, even as at the moment we don't have any members in the House of Keys or in the the Legislative Council, but it's important that we raise these concerns for these issues, like Andrew Bentley has been uh, raising issues on air quality in the press recently and at the local council level, and um, this is only something that's going to increase. We're going to continually raise these issues and, and build a platform a vision and and that's going to include input from all our members and also wider society can be part of that you can join the green party email list you don't need to be a member to be part of that and um, so that's our stage now building the platform to take forward to the electorate.
1: I must also of course mention Mark Kermode from McVannon who hasn't been able to stay with us for the second hour but I know that posts on social media recently um, from McVanon said they have had a a surge in inquiries, especially following uh, the kind of constitutional discussions about the UK uh, legislating on behalf of the Isle of Man. I don't know what their intentions are for for 2021. Um, But in in, in other jurisdictions, we, we do see groups of society buy into a collective vision or a collective identity through a political party. Um, to take some examples uh, just across the water, UKIP, of course, had a, a surge to prominence um, prior to the, the Brexit referendum, um, perhaps due to its policy on, on, an, on immigration, I, I I don't know. In the SNP in Scotland has seen um, more mobilised opinion there. Um, on the Isle of Man, do you, do you feel that people have the same access to a collective view, maybe?
5: I think... Um Professor Peter Edge spoke recently about Liz Vane and the Constitution, and I think he recognized in that lecture as the nuance of the Isle of Man in a very small community and how maybe party politics has not taken up like that. Whereas you go to somewhere like Northern Ireland with a large scale, you need uh, economies of scale, you need efficiencies of a party platform so you can communicate across a large conurbations, uh, large areas, and um, the Isle of Man. So maybe that's why party politics hasn't been taken up But I I think I would say, and I I imagine my colleagues here would say that party politics is a great opportunity for democracy in the Isle of Man, for participatory democracy in the Isle of Man.
2: Sadly, Northern Ireland isn't the best example at at the present time. But... I, I I think, more closer to home, the movements of young people last week which reflect what's going on in other jurisdictions and re- more uh, also if you look further afield, if you, lo- you look at the United States and you look at what the young people have been doing there in relation to gun laws, for example, all getting together, they have a, a president at the moment who is unbelievable. I can't believe that the people of the United States, the greatest free democracy, ha- have that person in, in charge. And I just hope that that changes. But what I'm, the point I'm crudely trying to make is that young people th- throughout the world are standing up as we did in the 60s and 70s. And I really welcome that.
1: What what place is there particularly for for young people then? If, if people if people are are interested in having their voice heard, um, is, is is party politics the way to do that?
2: It's one of the ways to do that. We had a discussion this week in Timewald and, and Laurie's more involved than me about a Manx Youth Parliament. Um, you, you're one of the advisors, Luke.
4: Yeah. So um, obviously. Uh As as a party, we do welcome and encourage anyone of any age to come and get involved, and I'm sure my colleagues here would say the same, Uh, but there's a motion coming Before Timbald next week about forming a Manx Youth Parliament, which would be a a more formalised structure where uh, younger people, uh, 14, 15, 16, 17-year-olds, can actually get more directly involved with uh, the parliamentary process, with a running parallel process, very similar to what they do in Scotland, and so there are definitely more than one route for young people to get involved.
1: We, we spoke a bit off air about um, some of the common ground between, between parties on the Isle of Man and um, what what kind of steps can be taken perhaps to to address that. Um, it's probably a difficult decision, I'm trying to think, if, if put myself in the shoes of a young person perhaps who's mm. becoming politically mm. interested, you're presented with political parties on the island, um, how, how are those kind of decisions informed?
2: Well, in terms of the Manx Labour Party, then, w- we're a, a broad church, always have been a broad church. Uh, I would describe myself as left of centre. Years ago, I would have described myself as quite left of centre. <laughs> uh, I guess with age comes a little bit more um, a changed view on and, uh, and certain things. However, we are, a, and, and welcome people of all uh Interests who who, who, ha- who share those kind of uh, philosophies with us to to discuss uh, and at the moment we're going through our new policy document and what happens there is that all members have the opportunity to have their input into that and so that's the first stage. Um, and, and again, I think when it comes to the election, um, m- maybe we'll get a- enough Greens elected to form a government. I don't think so. But Or Labour, or, or, Labor, or uh, Liberal, uh, Vannin. However, I do believe there is a, 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 a position where we could work in tandem o- I- with whoever is, ever is elected into the future to try and work on issues which we share similar philosophies on.
1: You've mentioned the sort of centre-left standing, if that's fair, yeah, but yeah. would it, I mean, again, quite crudely, would, would Lib Van and the Greens and Manx Labour Party, maybe even to an extent McVan and occupy a similar sort of place on that on that spectrum. I think it's I
4: think in some respects yes I think when it comes to social policy I think Van and Labour are very much on the same page I think when it comes to economic policy perhaps not in, in every area um, as a party we tend to stand more on a set of principles which is what, so what we did last time around published these core principles uh, to try and, uh, and try and get out that message that really we are about encouraging as many people as possible to become involved and it's about everyone um, and when it comes down to working up specific policy inputs again everyone in the party has a chance to be involved in that but we're much less focused on very specific policies, and much more about building that consensus of opinion, that that direction of travel. I think the set of principles gives you and binds you together with. Um so, yeah, I think it's probably fair to say that on a lot of issues, I think that all the, the parties on the island of Man are in a very similar space. And I think a reflection of that is possibly because of the way our independents tend to be, uh, again, of a very similar mindset. And I think it's, it's a challenge that we're, we're struggling with at the moment is trying to, to differentiate ourselves in some respects.
2: Having been involved in, in many elections as I have, I have to say that some independents... And there's some really good independents, so we've always worked with good independents, but there are some who are less than honest in terms of their electorate. They would be the best Tory all-out going up one avenue, but then when it comes to another street, then they would be the socialist uh, representative. And and, and they, ha- I've seen instances of where they produce material on that basis, and it really is dishonest. And that's why I'm saying the party politics, whether it's Conservative, liberal and Green, Max Labour Party, whatever it is, for me is a more honest uh, expression and people whether they like that or not can can make a choice
4: the